podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Liver Birds. Sorry we've been away for a few weeks, a little bit longer than we planned, um, but we're back. It's October, it's the international break, so we thought it was a great time um, to get together and discuss all things Liverpool again. Uh, this is a slightly different pod. Um, it's just going to be a, a two-hander between myself and my guest Leanne. Welcome Leanne. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure as always. So we may get a little bit more in depth um, on on some of the issues and uh, we're just going to kick off. So Leanne, we had a really busy September um, in terms of our fixture list and you know when we talked about it I think probably on the last pod or a little bit before that we sort of said you know we'll get a much better sense of where we are um, having had a decent start to the season if we come through relatively unscathed through that fixture list in in September so how how do you think we did overall? Yeah I think it was it was obviously a very very tough fixture list for Liverpool in September um, and, and coming into that international break, we've faced a lot of very good teams. You're looking at PSG, Chelsea twice, Man City as well. Um, so I think, as you said there, it was very much a, a time frame where you're looking and you're thinking, if Liverpool are going to challenge, it's going to be, it's going to be shown now. That's, that's how they're going to match up against these good oppositions. That's going to tell us what this team is sort of made of. And I think we did come through it very, very well. Um, okay, we had a couple of hiccups, um, like the League Cup game, but they're they're pretty much just little bumps in the road. No one really minds about the League Cup if you're winning the league. So I think it's all very, very positive. Uh, good results against City, good result against Chelsea. And yeah, lots to take from it and, and lots of optimism still, which is always a positive sign. It is. I mean, I think, you know, our last, our last few games, um, you might say... A, slightly more um bumpy in in terms of you know we 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 lost a couple of games um but overall i i can't be disappointed with where we are you know as as we as we came to the international break um in terms of being you know joint top of the league um you know goal goal difference apart on this on the same points as um Chelsea and City um I wonder though do we do we think that um Jurgen could have done a bit more in terms of um how he used the squad as we were sort of coming to the back end of that runner games um and I'm thinking particularly because of the the in some respects to the injury to Milner um in the City game and I I had a conversation before you know, before we went, we, we were in, you know, in the pub before we were going down to Anfield and, and before we knew what the team news was. And it's, you know, it's fine to be kind of wise after the event, but I was saying, I, I thought that Milner should be rested and they should start Cater 
in that game because Milner had played pretty much every single minute of every game we'd played near us, damn it. And, um, and I, this is not about sort of kind of saying I told you so or anything like that. Injuries can happen at any time. But do, do you think we missed a bit of a trick over the last few games? Yeah, I think James Milner's particularly the one where you're looking and you're thinking, OK, he's played a lot of minutes and that's why maybe the, the injury against City wasn't that much of a surprise. A lot of people said, well, OK, he has played a lot of football. It's kind of to be expected that he picks up a knock. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I do think, you know, Klopp could have potentially rotated things a little bit more. That being said, I understand why he hasn't. I think Naby Keita's still getting used to the system. He's still trying to really bed himself into this pressing game. And a couple of times he's been a bit wayward with his passes. And and basically, since the West Ham game, the first first day of the season, he's he's not really been on it. Um, that game, he was very impressive. He was driving from midfield, but a couple of times we, we've not really seen that creativity, that ingenuity that we saw when he was in a Bundesliga. So I, I can understand why Klopp did it and why Klopp wanted to persist with Milner, who's had a very good start to the season. But yeah, of course, you're looking back and you're thinking, OK, we've got the depth now, please use it. And and for me, that was really important against Napoli. Um, it was obviously mm. one of Liverpool's worst performance, if not their worst of the season. And no one was at the races. And yet we had Shakiri had Sturridge on the bench and, and we didn't really see Sturridge until the last, I think, 10 minutes. Shakiri never came on despite being in good form after that Chelsea game. So I think there's a couple of instances where Klopp's maybe a little bit too stubborn with his substitutions or with his tactical tweaks. But as I said, I, I understand it's just a, a case of trying to continue the momentum of an 11 who have got us to join top of the league. Yeah, it's 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 that difficult balance, isn't it? Because um, you know, when it when it comes down to it, you don't necessarily want to mess with a with a winning formula. But but I have to say, yeah, definitely at this point in the season, Napoli was probably our worst game overall. And I didn't, I was I was listening um, on the radio, and the and I, I saw a, a little bit on on BT Sport, but I'm not sure I was I was away with work, so it was slightly difficult. Um, and all you know, even at the early part of the game before Cater got substituted so early with that back spasm, they were just saying you know the 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 passing, the the tempo, everything just seemed a bit off. And and you know sometimes you just kind of have those games so so I get that but yeah I think I think that was a that was a missed opportunity however you never know <laughs> if the rumors um are right that the uh the French league or whoever it is are, are investigating match fixing on the PSG Red Star Belgrade we could end up with that result being null and void that would be amusing <laughs> like our worst worst performance of the season and then we we kind of we get we get a free ride on it but I don't expect anything to really come of that if, if I'm honest um I have to say though that the one of the players um, this you know the start of the season although he's not got a massive amount of minutes I've been really um impressed with his storage and I know we talked briefly about the interview he gave after he came back on loan from West Brom about you know how how in effect you kind of don't really know what you've got till it's almost gone but he looks so focused and so lean and some of the goals he's scoring 
are are just immaculate to to the point that he won the Premier League goal of the month for that strike that strike against Chelsea where we you know we got that point right at the end of the game. Um, what what do you think he can do for us this season, Leanne? Because I, I'm I'm a huge Sturridge fan. You know, it, with I guess with a lot of other Liverpool fans, it's just a frustration about his availability um, due to injury. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Sturridge fan as well. I've been impressed with his start to the season. And I think in pre-season, I was falling back in love with Daniel Sturridge, but I was also aware of the fact that he was probably going to pick up a niggle or something and and be out for a good few months because that's just the way his career has gone. Um, But it's really good to see he has kept up that fitness. He's he's, Maybe he's doing his own training regime. I'm not quite sure how it's being managed, but whatever he's doing and whatever Klopp is doing, it's working and and he is available. And um, as you said there, goal of the month, brilliant performance against Chelsea. Um, He's... He's really come into his own this season. I think he's proven that he can be a, a vital asset despite Firmino being Klopp's number one. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, Firmino is the only person that will work in this system. Everyone else is so far below him that, that they're not worth talking about. But I think Sturridge is kind of knocking at the door. He's saying, right, OK, I know I'm not Bobby Firmino. I know I can't do the pressing game that he can or or maybe add everything in terms of creativity that Bobby does, but he is still making an impact. And that's all you want. That's all you can ask for from basically your second in command striker. Um, so I think he's doing really well. I think he's sort of made people sit up and take notice. He's made Klopp sit up and take notice. We've seen him being utilised a couple of times from the bench now. And it, it just gives Klopp more options. We, we were talking about depth and I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. But it's always been a case of, Okay, Liverpool have got more depth, but have they got it in in the striking options? Have they got it up front? And and that was always a no because you had Divock Origi, decent player, but never really really looks like he was going to cut it. Um, Dominic Solanke as well, only one goal last season, so there was a massive divide. And yet Daniel Sturridge has come in. He's shown how clinical he is. He's shown how ruthless he is. He's shown he can make an impact, and that can only bode well for Liverpool. But this is the this is the thing, you know. I, I think there's been this ongoing narrative around Sturridge, around kind of he's lazy, he doesn't press, it's this, that, and the other. Um, now I'm not, you know, I'm not your pressing stats uh, girl at all. But I seem to recall that when they did the analysis after the PSG game when he started, um, that that actually his his pressing stats were were up there and actually he he's a diff, he's a, he's a very different player to Firmino and there's no way he can be Bobby Firmino because Bobby Firmino is a unique player and and you you see very few of those he Firmino reminds me more of uh Sturridge with uh, Sturridge more of Suarez um, in terms of that willing to kind of almost chase anything, but maybe without that streak of dark madness in him that Suarez had. But but Sturridge's stats on that PSG game um, were were you know were were quite impressive. In fact, to the point that I know that people were surprised that his stats came up as high as they did in terms of his pressing. But it's because he does it in a different he, he does it in a different way, and I. I think i'm a bit bored of that kind of um the sort of lazy narrative around mm. Sturridge being a lazy player 
I don't I don't think he is. I think his body language doesn't help. So when he's when he's frustrated, it comes out a lot more on the pitch, I think. Yeah. With other players. Um No, I, I, I completely agree. I don't think the narrative that he's a lazy player is is a correct one. I think the point I'm making, the point that a few people will make, is that as you've said there, he is not Bobby Firmino, which has actually worked against him. Um, in, in previous seasons, because Firmino is so integral to the press, he's so integral in terms of the creativity and the link play of the front three, that Sturridge could never replicate that and therefore wasn't getting the chances. Klopp wasn't willing to rotate because Firmino mm. was so important. Whereas now Sturridge is coming along, he is pressing, he's using his energy. Okay, a couple of times he, he still looks a, a bit scared to maybe sprint in behind, but that's understandable. But when he's scoring these goals, he's making Klopp sit up and take notice and now Klopp is willing to rotate he is willing to bring Sturridge into the fold yeah and I and I, I couldn't be more delighted for him and I and I think he's probably looking as lean as I've seen him for um a fair few years and I think you're right I I seem to recall some stuff on social media in pre-season where he was in LA or somewhere and you, and he was showing himself kind of, you know, running up hills and doing various different things as part of what, whatever regime, whether that was designed by the club, whether it was designed by him. Um, and, and he also seems to be a lot more settled in his personal life as well. Um, which does seem to make a big difference to a number of players. Um, so, so, you know, fair, fair play to him. And I, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really happy to see him properly contributing again. Um, I, I don't know that he'll, I think he might go at the end of the season. I'm not quite sure what his contract situation is. I think he's in his, maybe he's in the last 18 months or last year or something. Um, I haven't, I haven't looked at that in detail and I, and I could understand it. Ultimately, if he doesn't get another deal with us, but but if he stays fit, he's going to be a huge asset to some team. If we if we choose not to keep him, or he chooses not to stay because he wants to he wants to play more football than he than he's getting um, at Liverpool. So so let's let's talk a little bit about the the, the squad depth though. So so Sturridge being you know a great example of that, but we now have. You know, we now have Shakiri, um, we have Fabino. Admittedly, you know, we've seen very little of him, but that's not necessarily um, a bad thing. I think he's doing, I think Klopp's doing with Fabino what he did with Andy Robertson last, last season. Um, you know, we have, we have Klein back in the squad, um, you know, as a specialist right back. So, and, and Lovren is now back fit as well. Were you just just as we start talking about the squad? Were, were you surprised to see the rotation he made against Man City, Leanne, in terms of um, moving that centre back partnership, so moving Gomez out uh, to right back and putting Lovren in? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a little bit. I think obviously Gomez and, and Van Dijk have developed a partnership. They're doing very well this season, and they're developing a defence where we feel. As fans, we can rely on. Um, I, I said to someone the other day, if it's a one nil, if we're one nil up, last season I would have been, I would have been terrified. I would have thought, okay, we're going to leak a couple of goals here. But this season, there seems to be a collective reassurance of that defence that, okay, we're we're one nil up, and I think we might hold this. And so that that aura, that confidence, 
I was surprised that Klopp decided he wanted to mess with that a little bit and just change things up. Um, but at the same time, Trent has played a lot of football. We're talking about players looking tired earlier and he didn't have a very good game um, the other week. So I can understand that the need for rotation and maybe it was just a case of looking at, at Man City, realising how much uh, quality they've got on the wings and thinking, OK, we, we want to go a little bit more defensive here, put Gomez a right back instead of having Trent bombarding down the, the right hand flank. So it was a surprise. But again, it's just reflective of the, the increased squad depth that we've got. Yeah, I was try- I was trying to work out whether it was it was a um in some ways I thought it was a, it was a really nice compliment to Gomez which was um you know Klopp knows he can play there and actually he's he's that much of an athlete that he wants to keep him on the pitch um but my my sort of counter to that was you know what if it ain't broke don't fix it if if you've got a center back pairing that's you know that's doing so well and and to be fair to Lovren um he had a pretty good game right so this isn't an anti-lovren thing it's more around continuity in the in the middle of the back four and you also had have a specialist right back who is available in Nathaniel Klein why i suppose that was my question um in you know was why wouldn't you pay a specialist right back as a as opposed to moving a center back out to a less you know, a, a less positive position for them. Although, you know, Gomez did a decent enough job out there. You've, yeah, you've got to remember that Klein's obviously played very, very little football. Um, and so he would have been very, very rusty coming into that game. And, and given the, the quality of the opposition, given how important that game was in terms of pre-kickoff, everyone was saying these are the two teams that are going to go at it this season for the Premier League title. Um, Chelsea are kind of there or thereabouts, but they seem to still be very much third favourites. Um, but I think that was probably why Klopp didn't want to just throw him into the fire, throw him in and, and into the deep end with Leroy Sané, who is a very, very tricky customer. So I think it was just a case of, as you say, it was a a, a good sign for, for someone like Joe Gomez, who's had a very, very good season. And it was maybe just a case of Trent didn't have the, the best game. And so he wanted to rest him. He wanted to keep him sharp, keep him fit. And maybe just be a bit more reserved, a bit more defensive, which we've seen as a whole this season. The the kind of philosophy, the tactics have actually changed. Yeah, and and you know on that on that point, because we're you know we're sort of saying uh, you know there are a couple of games where we would have liked to maybe see Shakiri start or Shakiri come on or come on earlier even, um, and to change things up. And I and I still think you know we have a bit of a gap in terms of uh, the, the attacking midfield because Cater is still, um, you know, adapting to the Premier League. And I still think we have a hole where Oxlade-Chamberlain would have played and the dynamism um, and the kind of pace and attack that he brought into midfield is still, that that's still missing, I think, from me because the midfielders we've got, subject to Cater kind of, Getting, getting up to speed and becoming the player that we know he will be um, for us. That's that's where I think there is something not not quite there. Um, and we have we've, we've had a you know we've had a really really decent start to the season, and we're not firing particularly. So um, 
so in ter- in terms of that, so how how would you like to see um sort of Cater and, and Shakiri deployed then? Um, you know, when when we come back after the national break, we've got what you might argue is a you know, a couple of reasonably um easy games and in inverted commas in terms of the league where we're <laughs> a, a, away at Huddersfield and at home to Cardiff and I know that's a kind of making us a hostage to fortune but on paper um, those are games that we should be capable of winning. Yeah I think the the Oxlade-Chamberlain point is completely spot on during that Man City game I was sat there and I was thinking you know this is crying out for someone like Chamberlain his his energy and drive from midfield that bit of pace a bit of power and presence that we saw last season that was so effective against Man City in the Champions League particularly. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of people, including myself, would have said that that would be Naby Keita this season. He would come in and he would show that drive and ingenuity that we saw against Leipzig. Uh, he would take on players, he would drive from deep and really get himself involved in the attack. But we've not seen that apart from the West Ham game this season, which is, of course, disappointing. But Again, as we've touched on, he is still adapting to to a new formation, to a new team and to a new style of pressing and, and overall sort of dependency on energy because that is a huge factor. Klopp demands so much from his players that it does take a long time to get up to speed. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a negative on Cater. I just think he's not quite adapted yet. He's not quite got into full rhythm, which hopefully he will do in the coming coming weeks and months because I think he's going to be a very pivotal player. Um, but yes, you mentioned Shakiri there. I think he's a very, very valid option. Um, we did see him in a, in a number 10 sort of role behind the front three at one stage this season, which I thought worked mm. out quite well. Um, and a couple of times in pre-season, he, he would slot in there and he would show his creativity, show his passing range. And, and it just seemed to light up the front three who, as you said earlier, haven't really got firing this season. So Maybe that bit of creativity and behind them, someone like Shakiri who who does have that drive and that confidence to, to carry the ball forward might help that. Um, so that's something I, I did want to see against Man City, um, which maybe wasn't the perfect game for it because of how the game turned out. It was quite a compact um, game, which was won in midfield or lost in midfield. And so with, with Shakiri there, maybe we would have been a bit too open. But yeah, you're looking at Huddersfield and, and Cardiff and, and teams like that and you want to see someone like Shakiri come in. You want to see that bit of attacking emphasis. And so I think he, he's perfectly capable of filling that number 10 role while Navi mm. takes a little bit more time. And I, and I think, yeah, I, I think there's, I think he's got something. I mean, I, I was, I was quite comfortable with the idea of us signing him, you know, as a proven Premier League player. I have to say I was, a, you know, I've been a, a little bit surprised at, you know, how, you know how positive his impact has been in the games where he's he's come on, um, and and I, I I do I genuinely want to see more of him because I think you know we we've only scratched the surface of his capability in terms of his time at Stoke, um, and he did well in a pretty mediocre team, and to to me it's how much better can he be in that much better of a team. That's what that's what I'm quite excited to see, but I just want to go back slightly on on a um, on a point you made around the the defence and um, around you know if it's a one nil uh, this season you feel quite comfortable you think oh yeah we'll we'll hold this and one of the other 
funny stats that that came up. I think Van Dyke was talking about it. Um, is that actually in the league at home? It's we've gone over fourteen hours since we last conceded a goal, and that goal was in that four-one loss in February or what it was that West Ham had when they came to Anfield. That's the last league goal we've actually conceded. And I, I, I sort of, I know it because I've been there for most of the game. So you, you sit, but, but I hadn't necessarily registered how many clean sheets that we, that we'd kept. And also there was a growing realization for me that I don't tense up the same way that I used to every time we had a set piece against us. Um, and, and that's been that's the kind of growing confidence that you don't even realize is sort of eking into your your subconscious. So I, I suppose it's have have you have you noticed a change in yourself when you're when you're watching us now defensively? Because it was something that I was sort of slow. There was a slowing realization coming over me when I you know I don't I'm not sort of leaning forward as much as I was kind of clenching everything, I'm more sat back in my seat when we're defending. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. No, no, I, I completely agree. I think last season obviously was electric. It was frenetic. It was frenetic. It was enjoyable to watch in terms of just how quick we were out the blocks. We were trying to blow teams out in the first 10, 15 minutes. And it was, it was brilliant to watch, but then you would get this kind of lull in the second half and, even if we were two goals up, three goals up, you would think, okay, you know, the opposition are going to get a couple of chances here. We're starting to tire. And so it was, it was a little bit out of control. Whereas this season, it seems a lot more controlled, a lot more relaxed. And, and, um, it's, it's the famous quote of an attack wins you games, a defense wins you titles. And Liverpool mm. are very much in a title race this season. And that defense is, is absolutely key to it. We talked about Gomez and Van Dyke. We've talked about Lovren. There are players there who have improved. Van Dijk is marshalling the defence. He's he's that leader. Allison's had a good start to the season. He's been relatively untroubled, which is is good to see. And I think it has just been a collective sense of, okay, this Liverpool team may not be as enjoyable to watch this season. We're not coming out the blocks against Man City and and beating them four five nil. Um, it was a, a pretty dull game the other day. But actually, that suits us perfectly because it's it shows how far we've come. It shows that we can now rely on our defence. And and as I said earlier, I think 3-0 last season or 2-0 last season, you knew the opposition were going to get a couple of chances. 1-0 mm. this season, I think we shut out and, and we pick up the points and we move on relatively easily. So that's a big indication of how far we've come and how we're slowly progressing towards a team who can actually challenge for some silverware. And do you think that was a, a, a necessary um, sort of change of emphasis for us? Because, um, you know, you, you hear a, a lot of, you know, opposition fans talking about how we're, you know, media darlings and there's this, you know, media bias all for Liverpool and this, that and the other because, you know, we, we play this brand of football. And actually, when you look at, I mean, some of the games we've played this season have been great, but but there has been there has been a subtle but distinct change. Um, and actually, 
even if you think about that Man City game, which I agree, it was, I think it was turgid, to be honest, for most of the game, with the exception of the first kind of five to ten minutes and the last 15, nothing much really happened. Um, and we could have lost that, you know, thank you, Riyad Mahrez. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, we, we could have lost that. We could have lost that game but that i think it was it was a mark of respect as well from guardiola in terms of how he set his team up because he is not a defensive minded manager at all but he came out afterwards and said you know what i didn't you know i didn't want us to to get caught the way that we did last season and therefore you know i i changed i changed my style to, to to better counter Liverpool's, and I I so I, I yeah I suppose that's that's the thing for me is is this an, a necessary evolution if we genuinely want to you know challenge for the title um you know because I'd I'd rather uh, I guess it's 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 the con- it's the contrast isn't it between uh, maybe Kevin Keegan and um, and Alex, so so they were the, they were the master entertainers. If you go back to the nineties, but ultimately they ended up winning nothing. Um, mm. And it's it's about I, you know I I'm all for seeing attacking football, but ultimately I want to see trophies in the cabinet. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because obviously that first ten fifteen minutes against Man City, we were coming out of the blocks. We were the the Liverpool of last season. We were doing the exact same thing and. And that has been, that still has been a theme this season. I'm not saying that we're, we're completely sitting back. We've completely changed, but I do think there has been some evolution and it has been sort of needed. Um, I think you need the control of a game. You spoke about Guardiola there and how he changed his tactics for the Liverpool game. And that's exactly it. You need that tactical nuance. You need that tactical change in some games to be able to sit back and say, okay, this game, we need to be a lot more controlled. We need to be wary of the opposition. And in games like that, you're totally reliant on your defence, and that's why mm. we couldn't. That's why we couldn't do it last season. That's why we kind of had to go gung ho. Whereas yeah. this season, we've got that option still. We've still got a very, very frantic, frenetic front three, a very exhilarating, attacking-minded um, midfield, and so we can still play that way. But I think this season, Klopp has also identified the fact that actually we can also sit back, we can also control a game. We don't have to come flying out and and give everything in 10 minutes and then just hope and pray that we can hold on because we we have a lot more resilience and a lot more control about us. So, yeah, I think w- when you're looking at a title, it's it's great to be so attacking and, and, and fun to watch. But actually, it, it counts for nothing if you end up getting um, beaten by your rivals and, and they take away the league. So I don't think anyone can complain or anyone will complain about Liverpool's potential tactical tweaks if they win the league. Um, but actually, at, at this point anyway, we're, we're joint top of the league. We're doing very well. Confidence is high. And the team seem a lot more able to adapt their game dependent on the opposition that they're playing. And I think, for me, the, the, what, I, what I would like to see when we, when we come back from, uh, from this international break is if I think about in the last few games we've played um, against the, the better team, so I, I, and I count, you know, the, the Chelsea and Napoli and City, they certainly um, tweet their formations or set themselves up to really try um, and and hold up our fullbacks and try and sort of 
negate the space. And I'm thinking particularly of the Napoli game, but to a lesser extent, um, Chelsea as well. So I would really like to see um, when Klopp comes back, some some indication that he sort of reflected on that and thought about, well, what, so how would, if they're going to set up like this, how do we then counter that? And, and, you know, when we talk about, you know, using more of the squad, but also I think to use more of, um, well, to see, to see more speed, more speed of transition, um, not just on the counter attack. Sometimes I felt we, you know, when we get the ball, we, we're a bit slow in terms of, in terms of uh, passing and releasing. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we're collecting the ball, you know, facing our own back four as opposed to being in a position to turn and move more quickly. So I, I would like to see, um, a bit more of that personally. But yeah, I would like to, I'd like to see some, some, I'd like to see Klopp's tactical awareness of, of sort of how those teams are set up and negated it somewhat to be sort of brought back into play a bit. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, that's kind sorry. of, that's the struggle for a lot of teams though with, with the fullbacks because it's, they're so important to the modern game now. You know, your, your modern fullback does a little bit of everything there. They're brilliant in defence. You look at Andy Robertson, brilliant in mm. defence bomb through and help out the midfield at times and then he'll get through even further to the final third and he'll cross the ball in and he'll get some assists so they do that little bit of everything and which makes them so important in terms of of attacking and that transitional play and so when a team sets up as Napoli did and, and they really look to restrict that particularly with Trent as well because our attacking our fullbacks are so attacking it does make things difficult, but I think that that just comes back to looking at Shakiri, looking at Cater, and saying, "Okay, we need a little bit more drive from midfield. Maybe, maybe it's Shakiri's turn to to give it a try in that number ten role. Maybe it's just a case of giving Naby Cater a couple more weeks and a couple more mm. games to to bed into that. Um, but I think there's enough quality within that team to to sort of get past that barricade. Um, it, it it is frustrating because of how important Robertson and Trent are to the team. Uh, in all aspects, but I think it's something Klopp will identify, he will look at, and, and we've got the quality in midfield, which is why we went out and bought Cater and Fabinho, who, you know, hopefully we see more of, and hopefully that that enables us to, to get more speed in transition and to get the ball to, to Salah, to Mane, to Firmino quicker, and those three can de- develop the link-up they had last season, because Firmino's got a couple of assists, I think Salah's only got one, and Mane's got none so far. So, again, we need a little bit more from the front three to to feed into that attacking, um, quick transitional play. But there's so much positivity. And when we're talking about the fact that we're joint top of the league and our front three aren't really firing so far and our midfield mm. could be better, that can only bode well. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And on on that point, so we've... Um we are actually just around the um, three-year anniversary um, of Jurgen Klopp uh, becoming manager of Liverpool. And there was a really interesting article uh, that Melissa Reddy uh, did for the um, Joe site, which I read and, and thoroughly enjoyed. So, so good work, Melissa. I'm really interested in terms of some of the stuff he said around the team, some of the bits that we've been talking about, but also in terms of how he's looked to evolve and, and develop 
um, since he since he's been here. And what what for you has been the 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 kind of um, the the you know the the thing that you've liked most in terms of um the three years that we've had under under Jurgen if you think about you know that first press conference he was talking about you know turning doubters into believers and you know all all of those great quotes that we got right at the beginning to to where we are now yeah i think in you said at the start of the podcast actually um that it feels like Klopp's been here a lot longer than 3 years and I think mm. that's that's testament to just how much of an impact he's made in terms of not just the personnel of the team and, and the development of some individuals such as um, Adam Alana, Dejan Lovren, who, who really came into their own uh, last season and seasons before. Um, OK, maybe they've dropped off since. Maybe they're still not fan favourites, but he has made a big impact in terms of the overall picture, but also the, the little parts. Um, but I think overall, it's, it is that overriding message of doubters to believers because it, it, it's testament to the fact that three years ago, we were all doubters. We all thought, OK, this is a Liverpool team who are OK. They're good. They they have good aspects to them. But we're so far off challenging for any titles that it was all kind of a bit doom and gloom. It didn't feel like we were near getting there um, last season. Everything was electric. Everything was frantic. We got to the Champions League final. Okay, we we fell at the final hurdle, but that Champions League campaign was electric. Um, I think it was record-breaking in terms of the number of goals we scored. Everything about it was just unbelievable, and and it really instilled belief back into the team, back into the the fans as well, and just this overriding feeling that Klopp has united the players, the the team, um, the fans, the club as a whole all together. Um, really buys into this idea of, of, of believing in the squad again, believing that Liverpool are going to get back to where they should be. And and that comes back to this season and the start we've made and, and how Klopp has year on year, he's adapting, he's learning more on the job, he's thinking and progressing in terms of tweaking tactics, in terms of picking up what other managers are doing. Um, you know, you look at Guardiola, who's come to England and done such a fantastic job, but still has a very poor record against Jurgen Klopp. Which, which shows just how good Klopp is at that tactical side and tweaking his game and learning about an opposition. Um, so I, I think it's been a fantastic transition over the past three years. I think Klopp has done so much. It's, it's kind of hard to put into words. And a, again, as, as you said, it's, it feels like a lot more than three years and hopefully it will be a lot more than three years until he, he departs. Yeah. The, the, you know, the people talk about it's, you know, it's the it's the destination rather than the journey. Um, but Klopp, what Klopp talks about, um, not just in that interview, but in other play, in other uh, pieces and in other interviews that he's done, is um, don't forget to enjoy the journey whilst you're there. And I think, you know, to expand on a, a bit on what you said, I think that's that's one of the key things that he's he's brought and and because he referenced it in that article and i remember him talking about that that bloody crystal palace game um when um when when we lost the game and and kind of you know every you know loads of people got up and go went around sort of 80 odd minutes in that first yeah. season and he talked about how lonely it felt being there and just seeing people emptying around him because there was no belief that we would actually get back into the game. 
and yeah i think i think for me the the epitome of 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 the change is that symbiotic thing between him the players and the fans that we we have to feed each other that we have to we have to continue to feed that belief and if the team is playing well then you know that that feeds the fans and that feeds the atmosphere and if the team isn't playing as well then the responsibility is on us as the as would to to actually build that atmosphere and and pump the belief back into the team and you can see that so much more uh now than you could three years ago yes you know success and getting to finals and you know beating your rivals all of that is gonna is gonna build on it but it's also around the the belief he's built within the squad and the fact that they can see that they're improving individually and collectively because you know that there's not a single and I suppose this is the other thing I would for me I don't think there is a single player since Jurgen Klopp has come to Liverpool that has not improved individually in some way and some of them you know part of that they may have gone do you know what I've got to this far but I know I'm not going to get any further so I need to go somewhere else to play my football but he still improved them um, whilst they've been at the club. And I think that's a testimony to to his man management skills and his, his coaching ability. But also, um, he's, uh, for, for me, he's, and he's, is one of the things he said, you know, I don't have to be an expert in everything, but I need to, I need to know enough to know that I get the right people in who are experts that could actually do the things that I can't, um, you know, I don't want to be able to do everybody's job better than them. I want the people who do the job best to come in and do it the best they can for me and, and for Liverpool football club. And, and I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's not an aspiration for most managers, but it's that is your ego, uh, are you sufficiently comfortable in yourself that you don't need your ego massaged that you have to control every every aspect in that way but you allow people to to do what they're good at and and i think you're seeing examples in other clubs where other managers uh are maybe not quite as good as doing that and don't you know don't necessarily react in the in the right way and and you know and over the years particularly after he left i i had a um i was quite uh, vitriolic about um, Brendan Rogers, and I will use his name because most of the time I just go our former manager. Um, <laughs> but, but, for, but for me, the 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 big thing about the difference between those two managers is that Klopp will never throw a player under the bus, whereas Rogers would. And maybe he's changed when he's gone to Celtic. I don't know. I don't follow the Scottish League and I have no interest in his, in his career after he left Liverpool. But when we lose, Klopp comes out and says it's my fault. And when we win, he praises all of the team. And to me, that's, that's a sign of kind of maturity and, and, and lack of ego in a, in a different way. Um, and I would have, uh, 
and, that, and that's a big contrast between um, him and Brendan Rodgers. And, you know, and fair play to Brendan Rodgers. He's gone to Celtic and been, you know, very successful and done, you know, two trebles or whatever he's done, um, you know, damned with faint brace, albeit in a very weak league. But, um, you know what, he... I dare say he took a lot of learning from being the manager of Liverpool Football Club and hopefully, you know, he's built that into how he's managing at Celtic and he may, he may well come back to the Premier League at some day, but I'm so glad we have the manager we have and I'm very glad he's no longer our manager. But this is about Jurgen Klopp, not about Brendan Rodgers, but I just wanted to make that slight um, sort of position between the two of them so so yes i think it's around for me it's around his um his development of the players and also the the ability to put his ego aside to do the best for the team yeah i mean we we spoke about how roberto firmino is sort of made for liverpool and i think it's kind of something you could say for jürgen klopp as well the passion the the belief, the self-belief, the the team management, the man management, all of it, it's come together. You spoke there about how he had mentioned how he was lonely after that uh, Crystal Palace game. And now you would not see people leaving the game early. You would not see a lack of belief that Liverpool could get back into a game. You, w- you just wouldn't see it. And I think, again, that's testament to the doubters to believers. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we... We know we've got a great manager at our club. That doesn't mean he's perfect. He's not. He makes mistakes. You know, I I, I have numerous conversations after the game in terms of, of, you know, whether we agree with his substitutions or timing of things or whatever it might be. But fundamentally, I don't think there's a better manager for us, for our club, for the psyche of Liverpool fans. Uh, for the person who gets the club, the city, the culture, um, the history, and to be able to meld all of those things together. So, so happy anniversary, Jurgen, and um, and may we have many, many more, and hopefully some some trophies. Um, so, <laughs> right, fight, sort of. Let, let's start uh, wrapping this up now. We've had a, we've, we've had a good good long chat, and I've really been really enjoying this. Do we think the um, international break came at the right time for us? And also, did it come at the wrong time for any other team um, in the Premier League? What do you reckon, Leanne? I, I kind of think it did come at the right time for us. I know people point out and say, you know, why are you saying that? We've, we've had a good start to the season. We, we've got momentum behind us and a, a positive run of results in terms of Chelsea and City. But actually, I just think it, it comes back to the fact that a couple of our players like James Milner just playing so many minutes at the moment. They just need a rest. Um, I know Mo Salah potentially picked up a knock against Egypt. Hopefully he's all right. And that's the negative of the international break, p- potentially people getting injured and halting that momentum. Um, mm. But I think it's it's always good when Jurgen Klopp as well can, can take a breather. He can take a moment and he can reflect on the opening games and he can see what went wrong, what went right. He can look ahead and he can think, okay, that Napoli game, that was a bad performance. What was wrong with that? How could we adapt if someone else decides to copy that blueprint against us? Which we probably will see later on in the season. I'm sure 
teams will look at that Napoli game and think, oh, they did that really well. They stopped Liverpool completely. We're going to try and do that. And so it gives time for Klopp to try and think of a strategy for, for players to try and get their energy levels back who aren't necessarily into, into the international picture. Um, and then hopefully we just have to pray that, that people don't pick up an injury and, and come through unscathed. Yeah, it's um, for for me. I th- I think it was it was the ideal time for us because I think there were a few players kind of running on empty, um, coming coming up to the end of that that sort of quite intense fixture list, um, through through the last sort of four or five weeks. The other thing for me is there's a few teams that have been building up a little bit of momentum. So I think about um, Chelsea and also actually Arsenal, um, who who I think are on a, uh, I think they're unbeaten in about eight or nine games now. Um, and I think in terms of how Emery is setting setting that side up, I think it's going to be really interesting because uh, we we play them in about three weeks' time, and I think I think that could be quite an explosive game actually because I'm not sure that Arsenal have been tested that much defensively uh, since the early part of the season, um, and I think we will do that. But I think they are really clicking offensively. So interested to see what what happens um, after the international break with them and and with Chelsea. I think us and, and City were were kind of much of the muchness, and I I have to say that. Again, you know, Sterling getting subbed at Anfield uh, is all is always a joy to see. Although, um, to be fair, I don't, you know, I don't have the same level of, you know, dislike for him that other other people seem to have. I didn't like the way that he left the club, but do you know what? He went to he went to Man City. Um, he's earning a lot of money. He's won titles. Um, and he and he's doing well there. And yeah, you know, he, he could have been more mature about it. But frankly, he's no longer wearing the red shirt. So I don't care. Um, but he does still seem to have a little bit of a mental block every time he comes back to Anfield in terms of how he's performed. So long, long may that continue because he's a good player. <laughs> and we want we want good players not to play well against us. So, you know, I, I will take that. But yeah, I think. I think interestingly, we are going to see, um, uh, you know, a similar set of themes as we have done in previous seasons. You can you can start to see that beginning to form. I think, with the notable exception of of Bournemouth, for example, who who have had a brilliant start to the season, and and Watford to a lesser extent, but seem to be falling off somewhat. I think you can see Arsenal starting to build. You know, Spurs are back winning games, but I think Spurs may find themselves finishing behind Arsenal again this season. I just got a feeling, although that may not have been my pre-season prediction, but um, I think I think I, I sort of said Arsenal and Spurs to be outside the top four because I just had a feeling United uh, would find a way to get there. I'm, I'm just not sure how long their manager will be there. I want him to be there clearly for quite a long time uh, because it makes all the United fans so miserable, but I... I I genuinely think he might, he might, he won't be there in the new year, sadly. Um, so yeah, so I think the international break probably came at a good time for United as well. Um, you know, putting aside their, um, in inverted was incredible comeback against Newcastle. It was Newcastle and they are Man United. And the fact they're talking about 
an incredible comeback pretty much goes to show in my view how how far they've fallen at the moment um, as much as obviously I want Newcastle to beat United and I want Benitez to do well when they went 2-0 up I was saying to my brother yeah they're not going to hold this and sadly I was proved right albeit they probably should have been 4-0 up at half time but hey ho um so yeah I think I think the international break has has come um and like you said you know we we would normally whisper this but I think the international break has come at a good time for us and I'm looking forward to see how we regroup and um and and come back at the uh at the other side of this you know our next our next set of fixtures are looking winnable I suppose is what I would say um and it's you know we've got two uh reasonably decent uh league games when we come back so we talked briefly earlier around Huddersfield and Cardiff in the league they sandwich us at home to Red Star Belgrade um in the Champions League um and then we're away to Arsenal and then away to Red Star Belgrade um before coming back home against Fulham so so on paper and obviously we don't play games on paper but on paper that doesn't look like a too bad a run um as we start coming into the kind of start coming into the the start of the winter fixtures what do you reckon Leanne will we do okay on that on that sort of run of five or six games yeah, I think I think that's a good run of fixtures for Liverpool. I think that it also may see Klopp actually go back to what he was doing last season and be a little more adventurous. Uh, we we talked earlier about how it's maybe been a little bit more cagey, a bit more controlled. But when you when you're talking about Huddersfield and Cardiff and Fulham, you expect Liverpool to come out of the blocks and in those type of games. I I think we'll see the likes of Shakiri maybe get involved in them, and hopefully some minutes for for Naby Keita because they're the perfect games for him to try and embed himself in. And the same goes with Fabinho. So I think they're yeah. they're as you said, um, you, you touch wood whenever you say this in the Premier League, but they're winnable games. Um, and and Liverpool, if they want to, we we spoke about how. The, the September run was really indicative of if Liverpool could actually challenge. Well, these type of runs are as well because historically Liverpool have been really bad against the bogey teams. Now mm-hmm. we've 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 come out of that in the last couple of years and, and Klopp has built on that and, and progressed on that. But it's it's all well and good getting draws against Chelsea and, and Man City and playing well so far this season. But if you can't really make your chances count and, and make your quality count against the likes of, of Cardiff and Fulham, then then you're not going to win the league, simple as. So in many ways, this run of fixtures is just as important as the last and every run of fixtures from now until the end of the season will be exactly the same. Um, so it's for me, it's just the Red Star and the Arsenal ones that I'm kind of cautious about. Red Star, they mm. did well against Napoli. Um, and Arsenal, as you said, they've had a a good start, a good rejuvenated start to the season. So it'll be interesting to see, but I expect Liverpool to, to come back from the international break and kind of hit the ground running. Hopefully Mo Salah gets up to speed, um, Sadio Mane as well, and, and Bobby Firmino. I would love to see a no-look goal, please. <laughs> we love Bobby's no-look goals. We really do. But maybe we could get a couple against Arsenal. That would be fun. Um Right, so so we're gonna uh, draw it to a, a close there. Um, it's been really great having a, a, a good chat with you, Leanne, um, and sort of going into some of the other stuff 
depth in depth. I just want to finish with one one final thing, um, and it, it's just it's just a little um, a little sort of mention from me about the the very sad news um, in terms of uh, a real hardcore Liverpool supporter, a guy called Fitzy, um, who sadly died quite suddenly um, on Thursday. There is an article in the Echo. Um, and you might see it on social media. You may have seen some stuff about people going, R.I.P. Fitzy. Um, he was one of the original, I guess, uh, Liverpool urchins, um, went home and away, loved loved Liverpool. It was the, it was the core of him. A, a number of the people that I go to the game with were good friends with him. I, I knew him not very well, but I knew him, and he was a lovely, lovely guy. Um, and I just want to finish by saying I'm really sorry. Um, it was really kind of luck very shocking news because I'd seen him I think the weekend before or within the last couple of weeks and seen him in the pub and he was just same as he always was so um, my condolences to his friends and family um, and he will be sorely missed um, and you may see uh, some things on social media in terms of him but also one of the famous uh, banners from when they were in uh, Japan I think for the World Club Championship. There's a banner where they're talking about being on the dole and drinking sake in Japan, and Fitzy was one of the guys in that photo. So, um, hope uh, that that's doing him proper justice, um, and he will be sadly missed by his friends and family. So, on that note, um, thanks for listening, everybody. It's great to be back. Uh, the Live Birds will be back again and a little bit sooner than last time. Uh, so, we won't be taking too many more breaks now uh, through the season, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Life goes on day after day Hearts torn in every way So fairy, cross the mercy Cause this land's the place I love And here I'll stay Podcast Network.